Hello everyone and welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast, an entertaining fresh take on the three-time NBA champs, the Detroit Pistons. Hey Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Motor City Hoops. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Cavaliers Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break, plus our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Features and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Welcome to episode 36 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. I hope you enjoyed the two-part episode 35, Journey Through Pistons History with Keith Black Trudeau. But today, as promised, we are back to our current Pistons. And to do that, I am joined by a very special guest, Kuka Hill from Locked On Pistons Podcast, writer at Detroit Bad Boys, YouTuber at Coos Ballroom, and host of the Locked On Pistons Spotify Green Room. On today's show, Koo and I will analyze my mock draft with Richard Stamen from Locked On NBA Draft, talk our trust level in Troy Weaver, thoughts on the Team USA, and much, much more. But first, Koo, Thank you for joining the show, and maybe more importantly, Ku, thank you for everything you've done for me in Motor City Hoops. No, man, thank you for having me on. I've had you on many, many times over at Lockdown Pistons, so I definitely was looking forward to hopping on over here and helping you guys out, and, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun. You're, I, I, just got, I just met you a few months ago, I believe, and you've been giving great content. I, I love the stuff you do, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I appreciate that. And if you guys haven't, you know, found Locked On Pistons podcast that Koo hosts every day of the week, you need to. You need to go listen to it. I'm fortunate enough. He brings me on every, you know, usually about once a week or so, sometimes more, sometimes less, but multiple times so far. Feel like we've become good friends. Hopefully we'll get to meet in Vegas or at a Pistons game this season. But make sure you go and check that out. Um, but, But so before we get started, I do have an announcement. If you don't follow us on Twitter, if, if you don't, please do at Motor City Hoops. But if you don't, as you guys know, Vlad Moldovanu started this project. He started Motor City Hoops. Um, he was the host of it. He's no longer going to be a part of Motor City Hoops. Um, me and Vlad are tight. We're still great friends. We still talk almost every day. He just doesn't have enough time with his playing career. He's got, he has one more year left. He started this basketball academy. He has a family. He has a kids, a wife. It just was the time commitment became too much for him. So sadly, we will say goodbye to Vlad. We will have him back on a guest or I will have him back on as a guest eventually. Um, it'll it'll it stinks. I'm sad about it. Short term, I'm just going to continue to grind as a host, bring on guests. Long term, I don't know what the plans are. I've kicked around a few ideas, had a few people reach out to me, which I greatly appreciate. Um, but just wanted to let everybody know what was going on there. So. With that said, let's go ahead and get into this coup. So I, I know you're not necessarily a huge draft guy. Um, and I, I shouldn't say that in terms of you don't necessarily scout the prospects and stuff like that, but you are into the draft. I got a chance to do a mock draft with Richard Samen, who you had on Locked On Pistons. Um, he's from Locked On NBA Draft and at Mavs Draft. And I want to go through my picks. Is that cool with you? Yes, sir. We can get it going. All right, bet. So my first, we have the number one pick, as we all know, I take Cade Cunningham. Any issues with that? Absolutely not. <laughs> I, I don't think we – listen, guys, we're going to talk a lot about Cade Cunningham as we go throughout the show. Um, if you guys don't know Koo, if you don't follow him, you should, one. But two, he is all in on Cade Cunningham, as am I. Um, we'll talk some of the Jalen Green and ceiling and all that stuff later. But I think that's the easy pick. He's a franchise guy. Let's go to the second round. So I wasn't, I wasn't able to make a trade. So I wasn't able to trade back into the first which coup is something we've talked about, you know, uh, with each other about doing. But with the first pick in the second round, I take Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He's a value pick. He's ready to play. He plays the four, which I think this is where maybe you might have some issues, but he's kind of an NBA ready guy out of Villanova. What do you think about a prospect that sounds like that? Um, I'm assuming the reason why you, uh, you mentioned that last part is because you know, how I, how I feel about Sekou. Yes. Um, I will say that I, I wouldn't have any issues with that if they feel like he's the best guy to get there. Um, the thing is, for me, this is a big year for Sekou anyways. 
and Seku needs to be coming in ready to play and, and prove what I believe he can be uh, out the gate. So it shouldn't matter who they draft. He should, if anything, it should give him another uh, motivation to keep going. So I wouldn't care who they draft. As long as Seku comes in like I believe he should, he'll be straight either way. Um, but I've heard you talk about this. I believe they call him JRE. Yep, uh, yep. A lot. I've seen you talk about. I've seen a lot of other people talk about him. Um, yeah, I, I don't have any issues with that. I, by the way, I'm not having any like with Seku. Any draft pick is not stopping me. Like if I feel like he's the guy, I'm going to get him, and Seku will just have to prove that he's who I believe he can be. Yeah. So guys, this is one thing I really love about Ku. Again, if you haven't listened to him talk, like he's very. I feel like he's very unbiased. Like he, he is. I, I, I'm not wrong in saying this, am I, Ku? That you're a big Seku fan. Like he's probably one of your best players, or sorry, favorite players on the roster. He is probably my favorite player on the roster. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, think about that. Like he he supports Seku. He's a big fan. But I feel like you you are very unbiased that Seku has to prove it on the court, and it shouldn't. You know, we can't not draft a guy just because of Seku. So that's what I always really appreciate about you, Ku. So I I just wanted to throw that out there, but. Yeah, like for me, the reason I took JRE, um, one, Villanova, again, like those guys just seem com- like they're ready to pl- NBA ready coming out of college. Jay Wright runs a great program, has those guys ready to play. And it was just kind of a value pick there. Um, Mavs draft, again, Richard Samen, who we've mentioned a couple times already, is very high on him. But I, I did have a little bit of reservations because I'm huge. I- I'm very high on Sekou as well. Um, I, I do think that this is a make or break year for him, but I would like to see him get that chance. And I, I, I kind of, there's part of me that would hate to see a, an NBA ready rookie come in and kind of take that opportunity. Well, the thing is for me is that I've kind of came to a, to a point in my Seku fandom. Um, like you said, and I appreciate you saying that, uh, I could, I try to be unbiased, but I'm a real big fan of Seku, but I also like try to be like objective about him. Uh, so like, I've got to a point with my phantom with him that I, I'm I'm pretty confident and secure in the fact that I believe he's probably not going to be a piston moving forward. And I, I'm not letting that like ruin my fandom for him. I think what's going to happen is he's going to end up somewhere else and really blossom. Um, I mentioned this multiple times with you on other podcasts uh, and just talking with you. But the big thing with me, why I don't want to give up on Seku already or is because it finally seems like like it would really suck to like sit there and wait through all the the, the hard parts, the struggling, whatever, and then once he finally breaks through the wall, which I believe he did last year towards uh, the last third of the season, and starts playing really well, and then he starts actually taking these steps, then you give up on him. I think that would really suck to do. But I, I've pretty much like accepted the fact. I think that's probably what they're going to do, and he's going to end up having a good career somewhere else. So as long as he has a good career in general and and is going to like sustain himself in the NBA and reach where I think he can get. It doesn't have to be with the Pistons, and that's why, like, if they believe JRE would be, like, the best pick there and he could help this team right now, then it's up to Seku to, one, outplay him and show that he's better than him, and two, even if he, like, let's say the dude comes in and he's just as good as Seku, then I guess they trade Seku and Seku go lives out his career elsewhere. I, I hate to see it, but I'd be happy for Seku either way. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to acquire the best talent you can, and that's why I took JRE there. I just, again, I thought he was a value pick. And if he comes in, he outplays Sekou. Uh, I wouldn't want to see Sekou go either, but you trade him at the deadline, maybe you can get a pick in return and continue to you know, acquire assets. That's you know, as sad as it is, sometimes that's part of the NBA. So let's go to the next pick. Um, five picks later, pick number 42, the second pick. Again, reminder, I wasn't able to trade in this draft. Um, so we just we were with the three second round picks. I took Isaiah Livers, a local kid out of Michigan. And again, we don't have to get into necessarily who he is as a prospect, but I took him because of shooting. That was it. The, the end all be all shooting, I think, is a major need for this roster. So, yeah, I, I also believe shooting is a major need for this roster. The thing for me is, is that I'm just not sure that anybody that get in the draft would be able to actually help because who are they going to like outseat in the rotation? So it's like I believe that. It, this team obviously very desperately needs shooting. But for me, it's like the only way they're actually going to improve shooting is if these players like self-develop and, and they like they improve their outside shooting themselves. Because I don't think there's anyone they bring in this offseason that that's going to unseat um, like any of the rotation players like Wakillian, Cade to be, uh, Hamadou, uh, Josh Jackson, Seku, Jeremy, Sadiq, uh, go on, Frank Jackson. I mean, you're going throughout the list. I mean, it's just I don't think there's anybody that really can be unseated in the rotation. 
So you brought up a thing which, and I don't remember if it was James Edwards the third or Rod Beard, but I think one said that tweeted out that John Beeline is kind of the guy that's been tasked with um, working with these young guys on their shooting. I believe I'm correct in in saying that. Um, which was a, you know, beeline was a topic when that came out that day, I was actually on locked on with you and we talked about it. So I thought that was interesting that he was kind of, his name was directly linked. Um, It'll be interesting to see how those shooting um, improvements, hopefully improvements show themselves next season. Yeah. I think like you said, you were on locked on Pistons when it first happened, they hired John beeline. I think as they, they're like, what's the title they gave him a talent or developmental advisor or something, something like that. Um, we talked about it, and I brought up some of the things that I was... I, I wasn't judging it, but I was giving some of my concerns about it, possibly. Especially with the way he worked with Cleveland, the way the reason why it blew up in Cleveland, then they're having him work with young guys over here. But it seems like having him help develop shooting would be, like, the best, I think, idea to do. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. I think it's obviously worth a try. It makes sense to do, and we'll see what happens this upcoming season. I'm not going to say... I'm not going to judge him, by the way, this season, either. Uh, I don't... I mean, I, I mean, I saw it with Lonzo when Lonzo Ball like really improved in one season, like completely reworked his jump shot and came back the next season. Uh, but usually, I, I think that it takes a while, so I'm not going to judge it based off this season alone. But hopefully, we see some minor improvements uh, this Ab- season. Absolutely. So my final second round pick, who I think is going to be, I'm excited of, about this one. I, I, okay, I, I was going to say one. outside of Cade, because and we're going to get to Cade, everybody. I promise, guys. I know it's been a little while since we've talked our current Pistons, but we're going to get to Cade. I promise. But with the 52nd pick in the second round, I took Jericho Sims. And, I mean, this is the guy, if you guys are on Twitter, you saw the video of him, like, smiling at the rim, essentially. with I mean, level, you know, with the rim. So, vertical threat, this is something we've talked about. We both think this is a missing piece on the roster. Maybe the biggest missing piece outside of a superstar, which, again, hopefully Cade Cunningham takes. So, I had a feeling you would like this pick, Koo. So, yeah, Jericho Sims, I don't know much. Like you said, I'm not a big draft scout guy, whatever. But I have been, like you've mentioned, we've been talking nonstop about this vertical threat, lob threat, uh, bouncy guy that can has a large catch radius and can throw down some alley-oops, et cetera, uh, to help with, like, Killian Hayes in the pick-and-roll, and now even Cade in the pick-and-roll, anybody, et cetera. Um, and I've seen, his, I've seen him talked about a lot on draft Twitter. I've seen a lot of clips from him on draft Twitter, and he seems to match exactly what I'm – what I've been talking about. I don't know if there's another player in the draft that kind of matches this, but he anytime I've tweeted out or I've asked any draft guys about it or anytime I've looked looked up some stuff like that for this specific archetype that I'm looking for, Jericho Sims is always the one that pops up. So I, I like this pick. Yeah, and that's I do think somebody that kind of picked my draft apart just a little bit said they would have passed on JRE at 37. They would have taken – I can't remember specifically who the players was, but there was a, sh- a better shooter I could have taken at 37 and then a better vertical threat I could have taken at 42. But I think Jericho Sims fits the bill just in terms of sheer athleticism. So just to recap, okay, K. to Cunningham, obviously number one, JRE at 37, Livers 42, Sims 52. I did get two undrafted free agents. We don't have to talk about those guys. I did kind of take a little bit of heat. I took Scotty Lewis – and Luca Garza, I put lottery tickets. I think an undrafted free agency, like go after guys with huge upside. I don't, you know, Luca Garza, the kid out of Iowa, one of the best players in college basketball. I understand there's concerns about his athleticism, whether he can be an NBA player or not. The skill level is there as an undrafted free agent. I like those types of guys that maybe, you know, figure it out. What do you think? What, what you know, undrafted free agent? You what, what would you be looking to? Do you think I took the right mindset? You know, trying to find uh, you know guys that that what I quote call lottery tickets. Yeah, I think that's obviously what you would go with uh, if you're going to talk about undrafted uh, free agents. I would go with guys I believe have like high ceilings and would have the best chance of like have like the highest ceiling available because a lot of these guys aren't going to make it in the NBA. So if you're going to get one, get one that would have the highest ceiling. I, I did want to hear you explain a little bit about Luca Garza. I did see you like arguing about Luca Garza on Twitter a few days ago for like a few hours. I don't really know who the guy is, but I saw that you were like a pretty big fan of it. Or I won't say you're a pretty big fan of his, but you were riding for him a little bit. Yeah. And so, uh, so the the issue with Luca Garza is nobody sees that he's athletic enough to fit. Nobody would argue the skill level. I think some people question whether or not he has the three point range. 
I've and I'm the same way as you, Ku. I don't scout these guys. You know, we're both huge film guys. We break down Pistons film, NBA film. We talk about this all the time. Uh, you know, that's really what connected us was breaking down the film. But neither of us do it with college players. So I go based off what I the little bit I watch, you know, live games, and then what I talk to other guys. And I have talked to a few guys who at least think there's a chance that his game translates. The skill level is there. The, the, the issue is, is he going to be a complete liability defensively because he can't move his feet, he can't switch, they're just going to put him in pick and rolls. But I think there's at least a chance as an undrafted free agent he could carve out a role for a team, whether it's the Pistons or somebody else. Fair enough. So um, there's my picks. Guys, I, I, would, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Hit me up on Twitter, send me a DM, whatever it is. Let me know where I messed up, where you like it, what you thought was wrong. Maybe you love the draft. Hopefully you did. So again, JRE, Livers, Sims, Scotty Lewis, Garza, undrafted free agents. But at the top, our guy, uh, Ku, Cade Cunningham. Let's dive into this guy. Um, in the green room, I believe it was Duncan Smith's green room, um, there was some conversation that was brought up about Cade and his elite or lack thereof elite athleticism, which then got into this floor ceiling debate between him and Jalen Green. I just, you know what I'm talking about with this topic. I would just want to give you the floor and see what your thoughts are. Give the listeners your take on Cade, his maybe quote unquote lack of elite athleticism and his ceiling compared to Jalen Green. So I'm going to keep it a buck. I find the argument dumb. I I know that's like kind of straightforward and kind of like, I don't know, maybe maybe that kind of sounds condescending, uh, but I I really do find the, the argument dumb. Because, like, in that green room, like you said, we were arguing about it. And, like, the person you had on last podcast, Keith Black, he went through and was like, okay, let's go look at all the NBA teams and let's see how many of these guys you would call elite athletes. And I think we only came up with, like, what was it, like five, I think? I don't even know if it was that much. I mean, I think there was, like, three for sure. And then there was a couple others where I think Keith was like, okay, I'll give it to you because the room was kind of split. Yeah, and then then also – then we're talking about like elite athleticism, and that's the big thing for me is like, dudes keep saying elite athleticism is what you need. If we're talking about elite athleticism, we're talking about like top 10, 15 athletes in the whole entire NBA. Like, how many dudes are you are we fitting into that elite athleticism department? You can't have like 50 dudes in the elite athleticism because that's not elite. It's like just all the good ones. And that's that's where I want to go with this is that everyone I've spoken to about Cade. I've never, I haven't heard one person call him unathletic, I, so I don't get like where this is coming from. And I've went back and watched some of him as well. Like I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big scout guy. It's not like I'm sitting there watching hundreds of hours of film or on him or anything. But before I watch him, he's not like a bad athlete. He's like an above average athlete, which is fine. Like I don't get, I don't get why. Like if he was completely unathletic, then I could understand the whole okay, well, is he going to translate whatever? He's not. It's not like he's not athletic. He's athletic. He's just not like. Uh, I, I guess the best way to say it, it's not Jalen Green athletic, but then also like ath- ath- uh, athleticism is not the only thing you need in the NBA. I mean, I kind of talked about this. It's kind of like a thing we've been talking about on Twitter today with Giannis. Everyone just keeps saying that he's just big and athletic, that he doesn't have no skill. Uh, that's pretty stupid. I, I'm not going to go on that rant with you on here. I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> it's but been, it, I got into into the middle of it on Twitter today too. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> But Cade is extremely talented. He's extremely skilled, and he is de- like he's above average athleticism. I don't get the whole idea that just because he's not like jumping off the screen athlete that he doesn't have a high ceiling. I think that's incredibly dumb to say, and I just don't I don't really see the argument there because like you like I, we mentioned earlier in the green room we went through like the all NBA teams and a lot of these guys are just really skillful players like. Is, are we saying that Jokic is some elite athlete like Luca, and and also I think Luca is another player who like isn't athletic, but people also underrated like his yes. athleticism. Like he's yes. not like people made it seem like he's just a sloth out there, or he's just like he he's in like when he jumps he loses negative vertical. Like I I don't like they that's what they made it seem like. So he's another one of those guys. I feel like they did that with, and then I like you said you had Richard on here a few podcasts ago. I forget which one you said you had him on with. Um, but he was also on my podcast last week and he talked about it. Like I asked him, is Jason Tatum like a good comparison athlete wise? He's like, yeah, that's a pretty decent comparison for, for Kate Cunningham. And that, are we going to sit here and say that Jason Tatum can't reach his ceiling, uh, can't reach a high ceiling or he doesn't, he's not that good because he's not 
LeBron James type of athlete. No, I don't think no one says that. So I just, I just think it's really dumb. If if there's other things you want to point out to say why his ceiling can't be as high or or maybe Jalen Green is the better pick, etc. Okay, but literally all I ever hear, I, I don't know if you hear it differently, I'll let you say that, but I haven't heard not one other thing outside of simply, oh, he's more athletic than Cade. No, that that's the go-to, and I think that's why it's got like, it's got overblown is because I don't think there is another one. Some people might try to pick apart the turnovers, but I think you can go to things and prove that that's not necessarily a worry. That might be the other one. But I've even said it, you know, I've answered, if you had to have one worry, what would it be? And I'd say his athleticism, it doesn't actually worry me. It just, if you force me to say something, that's the only thing I can come up with. But the problem is, one, it becomes what you said, which is... um that sorry i lost my train of thought here for a second that he's not like a below average athlete all right he's not below average so it's gone from he's not athletic or he's not elite athleticism to he's a poor athlete that's not the case and then also i think sometimes we we uh gauge athleticism in just jumping ability that's not necessarily the case there's other aspects to athleticism. You know, a guy can have a 45-inch vertical, but can he play through contact? Can he euro step? Can he move laterally? There's all sorts of aspects of athleticism, which to your point is Luka Doncic. Yeah, maybe he doesn't test well, but on the floor, he is he's he has practical athleticism is what I'd call it on the floor. Um, so before we move on um, to kind of this floor ceiling with this roster, um, do you have any other points you'd like to make? Yeah, there was just one more thing I wanted to say, and it kind of, one of the things I was going to say is what you just said. I think that was beautifully said, and exactly why I was going to go with it. So you stole what I was going to say. <laughs> My uh, bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the other thing I wanted to say, and this is like a bigger thing to point out for me. So Jason Tatum, he's six eight with a six eleven wingspan. Like we all say that Jason Tatum is like. If you look at Jason Tam and watch him play, he's long as hell, right? Like everyone, like you would agree. Like yep. you watch Jason Tam, he looks long as hell. And I think that kind of makes up for, like, the lack of elite athleticism, I guess people would say. Uh, I still think he's pretty damn athletic, but the fact that he's 6'8 with a 6'7 wingspan kind of makes it to where he doesn't need to be, like, this elite athlete athlete to be able to, like, dunk on guys and stuff and do stuff like that. Um, Do you know what wingspan Kate Cunningham has? So he's 6'8, 6'10, 6'11? He has a seven-foot wingspan, okay. so it's even longer than Jason Tatum's. So, like, I have no concerns about that at all. Like, I feel like the main thing, like you said, is just simply jumping ability, which, like I said, I completely agree with you that, that that's not the only thing with athleticism. Um, but if that's, like, your main worry about, oh, he's just not going to be able to jump high, um, well, you know, I, I one, I don't think he just has negative vertical, and second, he's pretty, he's pretty damn long. So, I mean... I think he's going to be fine. He's pretty tall and he's pretty damn long. So I think he's going to be okay. So whenever I answered that on Twitter, somebody tweeted a video of him uh, in high school going between his legs in game. And I'm not saying like that's the end all be all, but I'm sorry. Like you have a little bit of bounce if you can do, you know, start doing stuff like that. So I agree. I think it's overblown. I, I do think it's, it's that time of year where we can't just say, we can't just talk about his positives. You have to find some way. I don't want to say that people are purposely cutting him down, but you have to have something to talk about. So they, they find the one negative and it's not that he's an elite athlete. So as we talk about floor and ceiling, I want to talk about it, something you tweeted out. Again, this has been maybe a week ago now, Koo, but I want to go back to it because we haven't been able to talk about it here on Motor City Hoops. And you tweeted out that you feel like the only starting spots, this is uh, paraphrased, by the way, that are essentially safe or you feel like that are locks long term, not necessarily just next year, but are Jeremy Grant and Kane Cunningham. And I think it has to do with players' ceilings more than anything. Can you kind of explain that to our listeners here on Motor City Hoops, what you meant by that tweet? All right, so I feel like I'm gonna get some hate for for this, but <laughs> no, nah, uh, no, I'm, all love, I'm, all love. I'm, I'm ready. For, I'm ready for. I'm ready for all of it. Um, so this is the thing. I'm not as high on the rest of these guys that Piston fans are. Um, I try to stay objective and like clear sided with all these things. So, like for, I guess I can work down the roster. I I feel like there's two guys that people would pretty much say that I'm wrong about. Um, I don't think, at least I don't believe everyone believes Isaiah Stewart's guaranteed to be a starter. Uh, so I, I'm not gonna really focus on him as much. But if you do. I mean, he could potentially be the starter. I just think that everyone, I think the majority of people believe that, like, if he becomes a starter long term, 
great, but he even if he does, I think most people would be okay with that. And I, I'm I've seen that more often lately, which kind of makes me happier to see because because at first I didn't think that was the case. So I'm pretty cool with the fact that everyone sees the same thing kind of with Isaiah Stewart. But I am pretty high on his ceiling, so he could prove me wrong. Um, Sadiq Bay, I'm not very high on Sadiq's ceiling. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I did a film breakdown on my YouTube and also tweeted it out. Uh, me and you have talked about this a lot. There's a lot of things with Sadiq's game that I, I'm just not very high on. Like, obviously, he's really good at what he's good at, right? So, like, he's he's really good at shooting, obviously. He's really good at catching shooting. But, like, this is the thing that I brought up on a, my podcast a few weeks ago, even, like, a month ago, I think it was. I had, like, a Sadiq Babers Luke Kennard contest. And, like, the main thing people would say back to me is, well, Luke's on a winning team, and he's not even he, – he's in and out of the rotation right now. Yeah, Sadiq Bey was on one of the worst teams in the entire NBA. So it's like if Luke Kennard was on one of the worst teams in the entire NBA like he was with the Pistons, you saw what he was doing. He was playing better than Sadiq. And that's because he's just simply more skilled than Sadiq is. He has a more well-rounded game. And the thing is with Sadiq, I don't think he has that kind of well, well-rounded game. Um, I, I think people overhype his defense too. Like everyone's saying that he's going to be a 3 and D guy. I think he's going to be as well, but may, people are making out to be he already is that. Uh, I think he struggles mightily on defense, which most rookies do. It's not like something with him. Most rookies are really bad on defense. Uh, so it's not just about him. I'm just saying I feel like people are, are overrating that right now. And then also with his offensive game, I, I'm just – I find it hard, like, watching film on Sadiq and watching back this season. It's just it, – it's hard for me to believe that he can provide anything else for a team moving forward, which he doesn't – let me just say this again – he doesn't have to do this to be a really good player. I think he's, his baseline is just a really good starter. Like I think he can be like a starter, above average starter in the league, which is pretty damn good. But I think I'm just – I don't think he can do anything outside of catch and shooting right now. I'm, I'm, I guess I'll just keep it at that. I don't think he can do much outside of that. I think he lacks processing. He doesn't process um, help defense very quickly at all. Sometimes he flat out ignores it. Um, he – he doesn't know how to make the simple pass right now. Like, I'm not asking him to make, like, high-level reads, but right now it seems like he's incapable of even making the obvious pass when it needs to be made. Um, he has really bad touch around the rim. Uh, like, it's, I really feel like he lacks touch around the rim completely. Um, he's Now, this is a guy that I'll agree with. Like, if you mention his athleticism, this is a guy I'll agree with you with. He doesn't have much athleticism, even though I think he has a little bit more than people give him credit for coming out of college. It's not much at all. Um, actually, Bryce, you mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, this is a little bit of a rant. I'm sorry. No, you're um, good. It's all good. You mentioned this on Twitter actually a few days ago. I think you were. I think someone tweeted us about Isaiah Stewart versus DeAndre Jordan as a yeah. lob yeah. threat or something. Yeah, and I can't remember who it was. If you're listening, I appreciate that. Like that's the stuff, and I think Crew does as well. We love that interaction. Like we do. Yeah. I do this podcast for you guys to tweet at me whether you agree or disagree or whatever. And I, and I love that. So I appreciated whoever that was. I'm sorry I, that, that I don't know who it was for off the top of my head, but they had done some homework on their combine numbers and all of that. So it was, it was great stuff and it was great conversation back and forth. And one of the things you brought up with Isaiah Stewart is that just measuring someone's pure vertical and like in your room or something is different than like in traffic vertical or in yes. traffic jumping yep. and like live gameplay jumping. And that's something that Sadiq, extremely struggles with if he there's multiple times in the breakdown that you'll if you guys watch that i did on my youtube that a lot of times anytime there's any kind of contact with sadiq when he jumps like it's almost and people are gonna hate me for saying this but it literally is what it reminds me of it reminds me of stanley johnson when people used to say he has a a negative vertical when he jumps that's legit what happens to sadiq when he jumps into contact or anyone like he has contact when he jumps he legit like it's almost like he doesn't leave the floor at all and so it's like all those things combined, I just find it hard to believe. I think Bryce, you said this as well on my podcast too, that like these are kind of things, not the lesson part, but the processing and all yep. that kind of thing yep. is something that you develop younger. And it's like, it's more, at least for me, in my opinion, growing up playing basketball, at least in my experience, I, I'm not saying like I'm an NBA player, obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But like, that was something that I, I grasped like naturally. Like it was just like, that was one of like the natural gifts I had just simply like, I, I, I didn't practice a ton growing up when I was a kid, but simply like, I, I don't know. I just like naturally had like really good processing. Like I was really good at just simply understanding like what was going on, what to do, etc. And I feel like that's something that either you have or develop like throughout high school or like growing up younger age and something that's something that's really hard to develop in the NBA 
uh, especially in the type of archetype and role that Sadiq's in. So in order for him to reach this type of ceiling that people believe he has, that would have to improve immensely. And I just don't know if I believe that's possible to happen. So that's why it was Sadiq. Yeah, so that's what, and that was another thing somebody kind of, I don't want to say they came at me, but they tweeted me about, because I said I did think that it was hard to develop that later in your career. And they said, well, you said you could watch film and work on it on the court, maybe do a drill. Yeah, you can do those things. So I, th- I guess as a, with a chance to explain myself, I do think you can try to do things to increase decision-making, vision, court awareness, just basketball IQ, I guess, is the way to encompass it all is the term that you would use. I do think you can try to do things, but I think that is harder to improve. Even as young as he is as an NBA player, I think I said this, think about how many hours Sadiq Bey has already spent in a gym, how many games he's played, how much film he's watched, how many drills he's been in. I do think that that is a specific skill that I don't want to say it's all natural. There is some natural ability to it. Just like any, would you, would you not agree that all people have a better sense of their surroundings than others? Yes. And so, or not all people, but some people have a better sense of their surroundings than others. Like that, that applies to a basketball floor or a football field or any sporting event where there's multiple players on the field. Some people have a better awareness of where their teammates are, where the other team is at, where the lines on the court are, everything. You don't think about it after you hoop for so long, but some of that just does happen more naturally for people than others. And I don't think it's a thing that you can easily drill, coach up, or get better at with film session. So, like, and before I move on to the next guy uh, that I don't think is a lock right now, I just want to comment on what you just said. Like, an example I always go to when this gets brought up is, like, Bruce Brown. So, like, it's a difference between, like, guys who you believe that, like, at least in my experience, the guys that you can believe in that, that could possibly improve in that area and actually become decent at it are the guys that at least show you flashes throughout their rookie season. Like, a lot of times, I, I think you would agree, like, the game moves too, too fast for guys yes. who are younger in the league or rookies. Like, a lot of that, a lot of that happens. A lot of it is simply it's moving too fast for them. And the ones that you see flashes in, like Bruce Brown, rookie season, you saw these, like, he didn't play a lot off on ball at all for the Pistons, but his rookie season, he showed, like, okay, he just made a corner skip pass. That was pretty damn good. Oh, he just ran this pick and roll. We've only seen him do it, like, once or twice, but he just made a really good uh, – kick out to the wing oh he just did a really good bounce pass like you saw little pieces of like evidence like he struggled some a lot of times with it and he showed uh like the game was moving a little too fast for him as a rookie but he showed you these like flashes that made you think okay it looks like there's something there that you can craft out of and then sure enough this next year he really took it to the next level and now you see him in brooklyn obviously he's not playing point guard but the, some of the reasons why he's able to play the role he is is because he's able to process things really fast. He's able to make good decisions. He's able to make good passes out of the short roll. Like kind of, yeah, okay. instead of using him, instead yep. of using him as a point guard, basically they use him as a short roll, and that, he's really that, good at passing that's, out of that. That's what I was going to say. Is essentially they took him. There's there's another player in the. We're, we don't have time to get into it. There's a player in the NBA I think would serve very well being in that role, but we're not going to get into it today. But. Yeah, yeah, Bruce Brown, that's what I say is like they took him off the point, but he uses those same skills to be in the short role. And then obviously with Brooklyn's skill set. But as you're talking about that, the guy that comes to mind for me is Killian Hayes. He's a guy that, yeah, he struggled obviously way more than Sadiq Bey. There's no argument that Killian Hayes had a better rookie season than Sadiq Bey. But in terms of this specific topic, and maybe just in general, in terms of a ceiling, you saw the flashes, the little things here and there that made you go, oh, okay, he gets it or he sees it. Or um, once the game slows down for him, then it's going to be there. You saw those type of things from Killian Hayes. Absolutely. And that's why Killian, the third guy on this on this list in the starting lineup, is the one I have the most trust at becoming a starter for this team. I think he's You've, cl- you've changed be- course on this coup. I love it. Absolutely. I, I did a complete 180, and that should prove to all you guys out there who try to call me, uh, anyone who calls me a contrarian or anything or anything like that, hey, man, I, I, when the facts change, so does my opinion. And I was completely, I was not as high on Killian at all in, in like, January. And I've completely done a 180 on him. I'm, I'm really high on Killian. But I don't think he's a lock as the starting point guard right now or starting two guard. I, I, it doesn't really matter, one guard, two guard. I think either way, him and, him and Kay are going to do a lot of ball handling each other, but... Either way, I, I think Killian's the closest one to a lock because of his ceiling and because of the, like what you said, he showed that he understands the game. He knows what he has to do. He he's 
He showed those flashes. You see what's there to craft out of that. There's something to craft out of Killian Hayes. You can see like the elite type of player he could become in him. Um, I don't see that as much with Sadiq. That's why I'm not as high on him. Um, and overall, I guess, I mean, I, I'm kind of talking about their ceiling right now, but overall, uh, through all three of them, why I don't believe that like their starting spots are given right, even right now is because like I think Killian is pretty much guaranteed for this season, but like maybe like two seasons from now, I don't believe that Sadiq is guaranteed because I think the main thing with me is I'm kind of talking about his ceiling a lot, but I also don't think that he was as good as people think he was this past season. Like, for example, let me just say this. He was really good for a rookie. Like, being really good for a rookie, I don't know if you if you agree with this or not, but being really good for a rookie does not mean you're a really good NBA player. Absolutely. Like, like I think he was a really good rookie, but I don't think he's a starter on a playoff team. Like, I Agreed. think people need to chill out with that. Like, he's a starter for a bad team, and he was a really good rookie, but on, like, a playoff team or a team that's trying to win games, I think he's probably, like, an eighth guy, seventh guy coming off the bench right now, maybe eighth. I think he'd have to fight for minutes. He struggles at a lot of things right now. So, and that's the same thing you could say for me. I guess, actually, this is the best explanation I've given for it. Thank you, Bryce. Uh, but the... The reason why I say that is because Hamadou Diallo, you can say the same thing about him. You can yep. say the same thing about a lot of the guys that you have right now. And like we you both can see, agree that Hami has the highest ceiling currently on the roster. I think. Yeah. I think we both agree with that. I think he has. I think he has an argument for it at the top. I wouldn't say no to it. If someone said it and made the argument, I wouldn't argue with that, it. That doesn't include Cade yet. That's why I said currently yeah. on the roster. But um, removing Cade, I think we both think Hami has a great argument for the highest ceiling on the roster. Yeah, and and along with that, like I just said, with the like neither of these guys I think are starters or playoff teams or teams are trying to win right now. They both have holes, so why is one being gifted or guaranteed a starting spot when he has just as many things to work on as the other guy? Except the other guy has possibly a higher ceiling. So the thing is, I think I don't think it's unreasonable. I guess I should say to think that Hamadou Diallo passes Sadiq Bay on the trajectory by next year. Like not this season, but next season, I, I would not call it shocking. To see, oh, Hamadou Diallo is simply better than Sadiq now. Well, like he's just go the, ahead. The thing is, and then we're we're gonna move on uh, to a little fun game I want to play. But you know, it, Hami might end up the starter based off how much money he makes. And I know we don't want to think yeah. that decisions are made for those reasons. But this is another thing we've talked about on Locked On on Twitter is. You know, what's it going to take to keep keep Hami Diallo around? If you guys go back and listen to the episode with James Edwards III from The Athletic here on Motor City Hoops, he brought this up and kind of made me nervous about what it might take, about another team being interested in him and what it might take to keep him around. If you end up paying him between 12 and $15 million a year to keep him, that's a hard contract to, to bring off the bench, I guess, um, when Sadiq is a little younger and you know still on his rookie deal. For me, for me, this lastly, because I know you said you want to play this game. For me, for Sadiq, if he wants to carve out that starting role soon, or it's like not carve out, I think he has it right now, but like to guarantee that starting spot at least for the Pistons moving forward. I know I see all these people asking him to improve all these other areas, and that's why I made the breakdown to say why I just don't think it's possible for him to do it. I think I would rather him. I would much rather him just like, uh, what's the. I'm I'm pulling a Giannis right now. Oh, master it and and perfect his the things he's really good at. Like if he just simply bought into, okay, I'm a three and D guy. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get really good at defense. And I'm just going to be really good at catching shooting threes. Maybe maybe get better at uh, shooting uh, threes off like off ball screens, coming off curling off them, something like that. Perfect those kind of things. Cause I don't I think. To, at least in my opinion, people may disagree, and that's fine. I think him wasting time trying to improve these other things, I think it's going to be a waste of time. I just don't think how much better he could get at that. I think he should just perfect the things he's at and become like a really good 3 and D guy, like a, a like a, a better version of Jay Crowder possibly. Yeah. And I think I, that's a starter in the NBA. That's a great that, – that's the name that I really like. And again, guys, like I hope you're listening to this, and th- this isn't like a bash to, to Sadiq Bey. This is like uh, I think Koo trying to be realistic, myself trying to be realistic – I see Sadiq Bey being the Jay Crowder mold, but hopefully a better, more consistent three-point shooter. Like you said, maybe he can get a little bit more on the move and transition off screens. And then I also do think there's a little bit of a post-game aspect to Sadiq Bey that he could develop. And that's a great role player. And again, I don't say role player with a negative connotation, like in a negative way. That's a great role player for this Pistons organization over the next 5, 10, how many ever years as we transition out of the restoration and into a championship contender. So I don't think this is any way bad that we're saying his ceiling isn't 
as a number two option or as an all-star. Yeah, I completely back everything you said. I like Sadiq. He's a really good pick. I, I like I said, I think his ceiling is like a, a really good, like an above average starter for like five to ten years. Like simply like the role, like even I, he's not Mikael Bridges at all. Like they play completely like different. Mikael's more athletic than him, but like a like that kind of role. Mikael Bridges is completely bought into that role. He's one of the best in that role. Like he's going to be a starter for a long time. I think that's something that Sadiq could eventually get to. I'm just not convinced that he's there yet. Actually, I know he's not there yet, and I know there's a guy right behind him in Diallo who has a higher ceiling that I'm not. I'm not totally convinced that he's going to keep behind him forever. That's why simply what I'm saying. What I'm saying now. Absolutely. So let's go into this little game, and we won't spend a lot of time on this coup because I do want to get into Team USA and the NBA Finals. But um, th- this was kind of this came to me after episode 35 with Keith Black Trudeau, which we were talking about beforehand. I think you and you and Keith are friends as well. Um, you know, is a great guy. Pistons, NBA historian. Make sure you join the locker room with him and Duncan Smith. The trivia stuff is awesome. Koo's always in there. I go in, listen to it. It's awesome. But he was talking to me about Trader Jack and some of the moves he made, the trade for Bill Lambeer, hiring Chuck Daly, and how Troy Weaver would get crucified if he made moves like that this day and age with Twitter and everything else. So the first thing I want to ask Koo is just right now on a scale of one to a hundred, what is your trust in Troy Weaver? Oof, okay. Um, Like 80 to 85. Okay, so let's say 83. So I'm going to give you three scenarios. And again, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I just think it would be, I just think it's going to be kind of fun. If he's, and I want you to tell me where your trust in Troy Weaver would go if he made this move in this offseason. If he signed Hami Diallo or matched a contract for Hami Diallo that was north of $15 million a year. Oof, uh, it's probably go down to like 73. <laughs> okay, so down 10 points. All right. What if he traded Jeremy Grant for CJ McCollum or an equivalent? That's the best name I came up with. Guys, I know that's not a good trade. Age and contract doesn't make sense, but something along those nine. Like not just a, not a King's ransom in return, but somewhat of a, an equivalent type player. What if he traded Jeremy Grant? Like a for like a guy that's like older, but I guess ready to win right now, or, kind of thing. Or, or maybe even younger, but like I'm just saying, like we don't trade Jeremy Grant and just like absolutely win the trade. Like he just trades Jeremy Grant. Maybe we win the trade just a little bit, but he trades Jeremy Grant. Um, hmm. Him simply trading Jeremy Grant wouldn't make me lose too much trust in him. I would. I don't know. That that one's a tough one. I I don't know if I would just lose trust in him. I kind of would look at him with a side eye because of like because of like all the reasons why Jeremy Grant yes. signed here and what the things we've heard, and then for him to just like trade him. I don't think it's out of own possibility he trades him. So that's why I wouldn't like just lose trust in him because it does make sense in some accounts to do it. Sure. So I guess I'd go from where am I at right now? Seventy three. Well, no, no. Each of these are individual, so we're we're taking each. So you're back at eighty three. The Hami thing didn't happen. You're back starting at eighty three. This is an isolated move. So where would it drop you from eighty um, three? I'd go down to like seventy eight, seventy nine. Just five, five. Okay. All right. This is my favorite one. If he one. did. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Koo, I don't know if Koo actually read the script or not, or if he just knows where I'm going with this. But both, both. If he didn't take take Cade number one, one. So that I listen. This is the thing. This is the thing, though. <laughs> like, like this would have. This would be an absolutely ballsy move. Like oh, the, he yeah. would have. This would be completely ballsy to pull off. So at I kind of talked about this a, a, other the other day on Spotify Green Room. If he did this. My trust immediately would go like, what are you doing? Like, I, it would legit probably go down to like 10. No joke. Um, you obviously would then wait to see. Okay, let's see if he sees something I don't see. I still would lose trust in him. I would I would definitely think that it was him trying to be the smartest guy in the room and trying to, oh, I'm going to do something that you guys don't see. You guys don't see something. I'd say, watch what I do over here with this. Um, so that's what I think it would be. I'm not going to say he... You know what? I actually no. I can't. I can't even give him like an excuse for that. I'm sorry. I had ten. It go down to ten. I'm okay. sorry. No, and that uh, honestly, that was, the the K thing was the one that it, that came to my mind. Um, and then I tried to come up with a couple other fun ones as well. But I do think I I I don't say this. This is going to come off the wrong way. I would be interested to see if he didn't take Cade, how people would respond. And that's not me saying I want it to happen. 
there's just part of me that would like, because I feel like most people are with you. There's most people I think would answer. If you're listening to this, tweet at me and let a, let me know, tweet at me and Koo. Let us know what your um, belief in Troy Weaver is on a scale of zero to a, or one to a hundred right now. I think most people would be between 80 and a hundred based off the moves he's made so far. And so it would be interesting to see if people would just, Hey, Troy Weaver knows what he's doing. He thinks Jalen Green's better. We're with it. But I don't think that's how a lot of the fan base would go. So this is how I feel about it. Like, so this is coming off simply like one off season, basically one year on the job. So if he were to do something like this ballsy with Cade after one year on the job, there is nothing that he's done. There's nothing anybody in the history of basketball can do after just one season on a job to make you just completely trust them no matter what move they do. That's fair. Now, now this is why I'll say if he like if this was like three, let's say he does this. And then he turns out, okay, Green ends up turns out to be better than Kate, or he the trade for Grant turns out to be a good trade, or he signs Hami to the 15 million plus per year, and he turns into a star. Like, if he does that, and then we're like three years down the line, four years down the line, five years down the line, and then you ask me these questions, then I'd probably put my trust scale at like 90, and then just doesn't move no matter what movie does. Because then he's built up enough of a reputation to be like, okay, he's had multiple moves now that maybe were judged at the beginning and we didn't like, that he turned out to just be simply right on. So now I just have to sit back and give him like the Greg Popovich, uh, Bill Belichick kind of thing. Okay. Like- I was gonna, I'm glad you said Bill Belichick because that was who I was thinking as you were saying that. Like, for Bill Bill, Bill Belichick can pretty much make whatever movie. Well, not as much now after Tom went and won the Super Bowl, but essentially he can make whatever movie wanted. And people said, "Oh, it's the Patriots, so it's the right decision." Yeah, basically. So Bill Belichick has built up that kind of reputation. Not, I guarantee you when he first got the job, if he did some crazy stuff, people were just like, oh, it's Bill Belichick. We just got to trust him. Like if Troy were like to like the next two offseasons continue to do things that just look stupid on the fr- on the face and, and, and he ends up to be completely right about it, then at that point I probably would just stay at 90 no matter what. Like it just wouldn't move no matter what. And I would just pull the, kill, the whole, all right, well, we just wait to see. Let's see if he's right again. But after just one season, you haven't built up that kind of reputation with me, man. You just you don't have enough of a resume in through one season to make me say, "Oh, now drafting Kate Cunningham number one, you must know what you're talking about." Like, nah, nah I, I'm sorry. Fair, that's fair. All right, we got about 10, 15 minutes left, Koo. So I do want to touch on two topics, non-Pistons related. This is the what we call or I call around the NBA segment. First one, Team USA been a little bit of a struggle. Um, lost their first two exhibition games. They, they beat, um, who did they beat? Argentina. I think they play Spain. They start here in about 30 minutes, I think. We're recording this on Sunday evening, actually. Uh, Bradley Beal's out with COVID. Kevin Love's leaving, injury-related. They replaced them with JaVale McGee, which was kind of surprising. And then Kelvin Johnson from the Spurs got it um, from the select team. Just a, a, an overall thought here before we move on to the NBA Finals about Team USA. Is it time to panic? Are you feeling pretty comfortable? They'll add a few of these guys from the finals as well. Uh, I won't say I'm 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 panicking. Uh, it definitely is not going as smooth as you'd like to see it. Uh, but I'm not I'm not panicking. I don't like I, I the and honestly I think the the NBA could like wouldn't even to be fair. I just think that they don't wouldn't even need to send out like the top ten players in the NBA and they should still win. So I just I, I'm not panicking right now, but it's definitely not going as smooth as they'd like it to go. Yeah, and I think what I said whenever we talked about this topic on Locked On Pistons, and I think what I said, and I think you agree as well, is the margin for error has shrunk though because yes. other countries have gotten better. It, it's been a global sport, which is better for the game and better for the NBA in general. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you can make an argument that two of the biggest, two of the best players in the league right now are Luka and Jokic and Giannis. So three. I mean you know, from all over the world. And that's incredible for the NBA. So, um, but I do think the margin for error has shrunk and it's going to take a little bit of time for these guys to figure out some chemistry. And I do, Rod Beard brought this up. He tweeted this out. I I, I sent out a tweet kind of referencing it. Three of the best players last night in game five of the finals were Booker, Holiday, and Middleton. And you're adding all three of those guys to Team USA. So I do, you yeah. know, you, you have some reinforcements coming, some really good players. I think Drew Holiday's game in particular will fit well because the, the international game's a little more physical, especially at the guard position, and he can really lock some guys down on the defensive end. So with, the, with bringing up those three guys, we had an incredible Game 5 last night, Koo. Um, your prediction of Bucks and Six is looking a lot more likely. Um, 
and definitely more likely than my prediction of Suns in six. Obviously, that's out the window now. Um, talk about game five in particular, this finals in particular, wherever you want to go with it. I know you're 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 a big Giannis guy right now. You can go with that. Um, our listeners here on Motor City Hoops haven't heard your take on that. Where do you want to? You start where where you would like. So I just want to say I was saying Bucks and Six when they went down 0-2. So hey, yeah. I, I, yes. I've been I've yes. been on the ship, man. I yes, haven't, I haven't jumped off. That I can back that up completely legit. They were down 0-2 <laughs> and he was still saying it. So, uh, but honestly, this has been just absurd series. This has been amazing. Like all these people, like remember all those people that were saying, "Oh, LeBron's not in it. KD's not. In it. This is about to suck." Blah blah. Like. This is seriously one of the best final series, or just simply one of the best series in general that I've seen in a long time. Like, there's been some, like, semifinals uh, series that have been really good. Like, I, I, one of the ones someone tweeted at me I agree with is, like, that Toronto-Phoenix. Uh, not Toronto-Phoenix. Toronto-Philadelphia uh, one from a few years ago with Kawhi. That one was really good. Um, but this one has been absolutely amazing. It's been absurdly good. And Devin Booker's been really good. But, like you said, man, I'm a Giannis guy. This man Giannis in like the last two games has had one of the like back to back in the final like minute or so has had some historical plays that you're going to see like on the little commercials about the finals for the rest of the time like he's gonna he had that block one and then that last dunk that last alley-oop one to essentially seal the deal with Chris Paul pushing him out the air which by the way was extremely dirty play yeah. I've said I've said multiple times that the pushing in the while you're in midair it's always like one of the unwritten rules when you play basketball. Like that's the kind of thing. Like if you do it in pickup sessions, you better just like leave because and something's gonna go I down. I was surprised because so I, for complete transparency, I had to watch the game recorded. So I, I had a family function with my wife's family. So I recorded the game, got home, watched it, and but I did see on Twitter that the the play early in the game, people freaked out about with Giannis talking about how it should have been a flagrant two and it was dirty and everything else, which I don't necessarily disagree with. But I thought it was surprising, and maybe people just didn't want to take away from the moment, but I'm surprising nobody went at Chris Paul, or not very many people have went at Chris Paul for you know, a similar type situation. Uh, to be fair, I didn't see that play with Giannis. I saw people talking about it. I didn't get to watch the game until like the end of the, I think it was the end of the second quarter. I, I started watching, I was out. So I didn't even get to see that one. But yeah, definitely the pushing people in air is an unruined rule in basketball. You just don't do it. It's way too dangerous. You just... There's, just never do it. You just don't do that. But the finals have been great. Giannis has been has putting up one of the an historical NBA finals. Like people and kind of I, I forget there was a point I wanted to say earlier that you kind of brought up. I forget who it was about. Oh, I think it was about Jalen Green. It kind of applies here with Giannis too a little bit. I think the reason why people like Jalen Green so much and why people don't like Giannis is like kind of in the same retrospect is that other players are just more pretty to watch. I guess they're more fun to watch and it's like. It's just, it's like, I guess, prettier. And Giannis is, I guess, I mean, I have fun watching Giannis. I think Giannis is a lot of fun to watch. But I, I guess people think he's boring or, like, not as pretty to watch. Either way, it doesn't matter. That's why people try to, like, crap on his accomplishments right, accomplishments right now. But he's having one of the best finals ever. He's he's absurd right now. He had back-to-back 40 games. And one of the things I've, I've really liked to see is that he's realizing as the series goes on that I can't simply just – dominate myself i need to get my teammates if i need to utilize my gravity and you've seen it literally with his assist totals each game the games they've won they keep going up so he's realizing and it's not like affecting his scoring either he's still going out there and scoring 30 plus but he's realizing okay let me let me get my teammates involved as well and he's literally i told you this bryce on lockdown pistons podcast a few days ago man Suns are probably the better team they probably have deeper team their starting five is probably a little bit better more consistent but the bucks have the best player on the on the floor and that gives him a shot all the time. And and Giannis has been playing like the best player in the world in these finals. No, it was it was a great point because I had just got done saying I thought the the Suns were the better team. Um, they're more fun to watch for me. Uh, I will readily admit that. I thought they had the better coach. And you kind of countered me and said, yeah, but the Bucks have the best player. And I have no answer for that because you're absolutely right. Giannis is the best player. He got obviously a lot of help last night from Chris Middleton. Um, when I say last night, again, we recorded this on Sunday, July 18th, the day after game five, the evening after game five. But Middleton hit huge shots. He was incredible. I thought, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way because I know there's a huge you know thing on Twitter every time Kendrick Perkins tweets it out. I thought Drew Holiday may have been the most important buck last night 
just in terms like not just his scoring. That's that wasn't the stuff that impressed me. I mean, it was impressive, but I thought he made a bunch of subtle plays, like the steals, the help defense, attacking the bat. Like he just made a bunch of nice, smart plays. I have readily been one of those guys that have questioned that signing and wondered whether this accumulation of Bucks talent could win an NBA championship. I didn't know if Drew Holiday was that guy. I didn't know if Chris Middleton was that guy. And they absolutely have proven me wrong so far. And and I love to see it. I enjoy watching the Suns more. Um, there would be the team I would quote unquote root for, I guess. But at the end of the day, it's been awesome basketball to watch. Yeah, Chris Middleton has been crazy. He he's he's been extremely clutch down the line for the Bucks. He's had some nice shots. Uh, he's been really good. And Drew Holiday, like you said, I think one of the things people keep glossing over with him. Obviously, the, the scoring yesterday helped tremendously. Him being on his game offensively, I think, is the big difference for them because he's been pretty decent. Good, uh, not decent, pretty damn good defensively. Just hasn't been able to do anything offensively. So if you combine the two, it's just it's going to be hard to beat the Bucks. Uh, but I think one of the things people are like not like really putting too much enough stock into is that with this whole Chris Paul thing, people are going at Chris Paul. Um, I don't think he had a bad game anyways yesterday either. But either way. Um, people are like, oh, he must not be right, or oh, Chris Paul must be hurt, or or blah 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 blah. Uh, how about the fact maybe we should just give credit to Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday is in this dude's stuff, literally ninety four feet, constantly in him. And I don't know, if, like, if you guys watched, everyone listening and watched the game yesterday, but Devin Booker was going crazy, and I believe it was in the third quarter. I believe PJ Tucker picked up his fourth or fifth foul, and then they switched Drew Holiday onto Devin Booker. And then everything after that was just so much tougher for Devin Booker. It just wasn't happening. And, like, De- Drew Holiday is seriously, like, I-, I-, I see the arguments, like, throughout the season for why he doesn't get on the first team all defense or second team all defense, blah, blah, blah. I-, I don't care, bro. In these playoffs, and specifically in these finals, what he did yesterday was insane. He gets up in dudes' jerseys without fouling somehow. He rips them up. He, ma- he takes people's, he, like, he takes their cookies like it's, like it's nothing. And he does it all with, like, fouling a lot. It's just, he's insane defensively, dude. I, he, he's like one of those dudes you do not, like, you see him across from you. You don't want to, I yes, hope he guards no somebody else. <laughs> yes, you want no parts of it, just none. When you see another team has a guy like that, for me, it was like, man, I'm glad I'm the number three option on my team because that guy's <laughs> not going to guard me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm not to, I'm not the top of the scouting report for them, so there's no way he's matching up with me. I'm not setting a screen for that guy either just in case they switch. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before I let you go, and I think I know what your answer is going to be, but um, Bucks and six, Bucks and seven, Suns and seven. So I'll say this: if I was I was being honest and being straightforward a few days ago, I said that likely I'm I'm going to stick with my Bucks and six, but it's probably going to go seven, and then the Bucks will win seven because I thought Phoenix would be able to win five, and I I think there was no chance the Bucks were going to lose Game Six. I like I, there's no way they're losing Game Six. The Bucks stole that game yesterday. They've won three straight now. I think Phoenix is going to gas out now. Like, all three of these games have been really close. They just haven't been able to pull it out. Now one of them is at home. Now the Bucks are going home in front of that crowd that went away to win the championship on their home floor. After all the gas, like, Phoenix has put in just to keep these games close right now and, and have had all of them, like, stolen away from them. I, I'm going to keep it a buck. You guys can mark me down right here. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, game six is a blowout. Okay. Okay. I love it. I can always get a, a, a great take from from Koo, and he always stands by it, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm predicting possibly a blowout in game six. Bucks win the, uh, win the championship. <laughs> I got you. My predictions never go right, so I'm going to stay with the Suns in seven. And <laughs> since I already lost Suns in six, maybe I'm bad luck, but I'm going to stay with the Suns. I just hope we get a Game 7. This series has been incredible. Game 6 will be amazing. Like you say, back in Milwaukee, that place is going to be bananas. And then yeah, if crazy. we got a Game 7, CP3, Giannis, all, it's been high-level basketball. It's been great. This has been great, Koo. I appreciate you coming on, man. This has been everything I thought it would be and more. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. I hope you'll come back. I'm glad I was able to bring you on after all the times I've been on Locked On Pistons and everything you've done for me, Motor City Hoops, and what I'm trying to do. I appreciate you. This has been awesome. Please tell the people where they can find you and, and all of your amazing content. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kukahill NBA. You can find me over on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. You can find me at Detroit Bad Boys, buying articles at the Pistons. Um, and yeah, that's just about it. And also, I just want to say, Bryce is deserving of everything he's gotten right now. His content, it's great. Um, I absolutely love how he just puts his head down, just 
just gets it going. Uh, he his film breakdowns are great. He's a great Twitter follower. Uh, follow uh, if you guys are not following him on Twitter. I know a lot of you guys listening. I have the same thing with my podcast. A lot of people just simply don't really go on Twitter or whatever. I'm telling you. Go, go support him and give the follow. The follows, like, I'm telling you, it matters and it helps a lot with, with credibility and people people listening to you, etc., getting, getting bigger bigger audiences. So go so Bryce some support and help get him to 2K. I think he just crossed 1K I did, yesterday. man. You guys were big on that. You, Duncan Smith, Detroit Bad Boys, um, Sham, all sorts of guys. Like, it, it literally was, like, overwhelming for me. A bunch of guys who I just, you know, have only met through Twitter and stuff like that. Like, you guys taking time out to get your followers to follow me like it, it meant a lot um i know it's maybe it seems silly but it, it it meant a lot absolutely man you you do great stuff man you're like you said you've become a friend of mine i i appreciate always come I, come on here whenever you want uh, i'll see you on lockdown piss i'm sure this week but yeah man thank you for having me on and again make sure everyone go follow bryce on twitter and support him and all the stuff he does i appreciate that man and again locked on pistons at kuka hill on twitter at locked on pistons check out his podcast every day it's big time stuff for for me Motor City Hoops, go follow us at Motor City Hoops. Go check out Detroit Bad Boys, which is somewhere that Koo writes as well. They're doing the exit interview series. I was fortunate enough to get my video breakdowns as part of that. And then come back next episode, uh, at the end of the week, episode 37, we'll have Rod Beard, Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News is coming on. Until then, spread the word about Motor City Hoops. Take care. Talk to you guys soon. Thank you for listening to the Motor City Hoops podcast. Catch you on the next one.